Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, it's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Thursday morning, the 19th of October. Um, good morning. If you're, just, if you're just waking up, if you're just joining us, um, there are protests continuing uh, in many um, cities around the world in relationship to an event that took place in Gaza yesterday, day before yesterday now, um, Gaza time. Um, and that was an explosion in what we now know is the parking lot of a hospital. Um, and the in the immediate aftermath, um, Hamas accused Israel of firing upon um, this hospital in Gaza City. And um, instead of believing um, what we now know to be true, which is that Israel did not fire upon this hospital, but that uh, Islamic jihadist in Gaza misfired um, a rocket within Gaza. Um, they were aimed, aiming for Tel Aviv, and their rocket fell short, and it landed in the parking lot of um, the Baptist hospital in in Gaza City. And so, um, but you know, the first information that gets out is often... Uh, for many people, the only information that gets out. And so, first of all, we grieve. We grieve the loss of life um, of so many people um, who were taking shelter at the hospital and who were taking shelter in their cars in the parking lot of the hospital. Um, and so it's um, it's tremendously tragic. It's, it is awful. Um, but to lay the blame uh, at the, you know, at the feet of Israel that did not fire the rocket um, is, is inaccurate. And so we want to be people of truth. We want to seek truth. We want to speak truth. Um, we want to clarify when that is helpful. But we grieve with those who grieve. These are precious people. Um, lives are lost. Um, it it's it's tragic. I am noting as we watch the videos, I am noting that literally every face you see in every one of these videos um, are young and male. And and I want to ask a question about that. And I, I have questions about what I'm seeing in the videos um, from on the ground in Gaza City. Why is every face that I see young and male? Um, and, and what does that tell us about um, who who left, like who actually fled to southern the southern part of Gaza um, and and also tells us some about the population um, of the Gaza Strip. I don't know if you know this, but half of the people in the Gaza Strip are are children. They're under 18. Um, and that is significant as we have this conversation about the unfolding war. So you've seen the headlines. 
You've seen the pictures. Now I want to imagine that you, I want you to imagine for a moment you are a Christian. You are a Christian in Gaza. Imagine you have a church in Gaza. There is one. There is a Baptist church. I want you to imagine you're trying to pastor that church. Um, Hannah Massad uh, did just that. While he lived in Gaza, he was the only evangelical pastor in the Strip. He shepherded a small flock of believers there during um, the first Palestinian uh, intifada, which began in 1987. He continued to pastor during the second Palestinian uh, intifada, which began in the year 2000. And he's going to join us to help us understand the reality faced by Gazan Christians as they are caught up in this six-mile-wide, 26-mile-long strip of land um, and as they are caught up in the battle between Hamas and Israel. We have brothers and sisters in Gaza who love Jesus. Pastor, Pastor Hannah is going to make sure that we see them today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Pastor Hannah Massad joins us now. He was the pastor of the Gaza Baptist Church in Gaza, um, also uh, with the Christian Mission to Gaza. His book, Pastor from Gaza, is available. Um, pastor Hannah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, good morning, uh, Carmen. Great to be with you and with your audience, brothers and sisters. Would um could we um begin our conversation um doing something that I feel confident you have been doing regularly, not just since October the seventh, but even prior to that? Could you um could you just lift up uh, a prayer for um for the people in the place that you called home for so long? Of course, yeah. Um, let us pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this day and thank you that we're able to come together as brothers and sisters from different places uh, to cry out to you in behalf of our brothers and sisters in Gaza. We thank you, Lord, that every time we seek you, we find you. You're not far from us. You are the one who brought life uh, to every one of us, created us all from uh, on your image, regardless of our background. And even when we went away from you, you didn't leave us, but you restore us by your precious blood. And here we are by your grace and united together under the power of your name and under the, your precious blood. And we just to pray, Lord, for peace, for intervention. We pray for your mercy for the people in Gaza and for the Christian community. But also you put love in our hearts for our our brothers and sisters in Israel and the Jewish people, thank you for the love you poured in our hearts. And mm. we give you all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Um, thank you. We, um, <clears throat> even those of us who have been to Israel, um, and even those of us who have been to Bethlehem in the West Bank, um, many of us have not been to Gaza. And so I'm hoping that you can um, help us 
see our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are in Gaza, and maybe you can mm-hmm. help us feel what it's like to have lived there. So um, tell us, uh, uh, you know, what, what is it like to be a Christian in Gaza? Um. Yeah, you know, it's Gaza. It's a very small piece of land, like 30 miles long, 7 miles wide, 2.3 million uh, Muslims living in it. And the Christian community, about 900 uh, individuals, and there there there's three churches in Gaza, one Greek Orthodox, one Latin, and one um, Evangelical a church. Um, what is like uh, to live in Gaza? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, the way I respond usually, I say I never been in a prison, but I lived in one when I was in Gaza. Mm. What because what is like um, to be evangelical Christian, if you will, living in Gaza? We live between two fires, at least the fire of the militants uh, in one hand, and the fire of the Israeli occupation in the other hand, uh, because uh, one of our leaders been. Uh, uh, killed by militants uh, in Gaza. But also we have the fire sometimes of the historical church, who's unfortunately sometimes not happy about who you are, what you do um, as Christian or evangelical Christian, if you if you will. So really, the Garmin, the biggest challenge for us as a Christian living in that part of the world, how you keep the love and the peace and the respect in the midst of these fires, how you keep your mind, your heart pure before the Lord, how you want to arrange your priorities in a way pleasing um, to the Lord, and how you continue to focus on the higher call um, that the Lord have in your life, how you continue to reflect His love and reach out to the community and to the wider community uh, with His love and continue to carry His presence uh, by His grace and mercy. Yeah, I'm thinking that 900 Christians in the midst of 2.2 million um, Muslims, many of whom um, do not appreciate uh, evangelical Christianity for sure. Um, And as you noted, I'm not sure if people heard that um, one of your church leaders, one of your brothers in Christ, um, martyred um, for for the faith because of his faith. Could you, that's one of the stories that you tell um, in uh, in your yeah. book. And again, let me remind everyone, we're talking with Pastor Hannah Massad, M-A-S-S-A-D, if you're looking for him. Pastor from Gaza is the book. Um, t- tell us about, um, yeah, tell us about that particular event in um, in your experience. Yeah. Rami Ayad was working with my wife, who was the director of the Bab Society in Gaza. And to make the story short, he kidnapped by militants. Um, and after 10 hours, uh, they executed him because of his faith in Christ. And we believe because he refused to be converted to another faith. And he left Pauline, young widow with two children, and she was pregnant at that time. Now, Pauline, as a young widow with powerful testimony uh, in the West Bank, she raising three children by herself as a young widow. And the uh, uh, powerful testimony for Pauline right now, she's ministered to young widows in the West Bank. She has 18 of them. She ministered to them um, in a regular basis. Um, yeah, this topic, uh, mm. very emotional for me, but... Um, you know, it's just um, 
we learned a lot of lessons in the darkest, one of the darkest hour of our life, um, how to live. But in the same time, I felt it's an honor that the Lord gave us to walk um, in that fire. And just, um, you know, in the midst of pain, uh, how the Lord, uh, he's the only one can bring something uh, good and beautiful, even uh, from the darkest hour of your life. Uh, like Romans 8, 28, as you know, all things work together for good. And this is the promise only for the followers of Christ who love the Lord and who are called by him. So, but also I should say we have brothers and sisters really around the world who's almost every in daily basis they lay their life for what they believe in. And may God help us all, you know, wherever we are, to be faithful and continue to seek the Lord and to live uh, for Him because He's the one and the only one who um, gave His life uh, for every one of us. I'm going to read uh, the opening page uh, of the introduction. Um, to uh, Pastor Hannah's book. Again, we're talking with Pastor Hannah Massad, M-A-S-S-A-D, for those of you looking for him online. Uh, The book is Pastor from Gaza, a strategic Mediterranean port along the ancient caravan route between Egypt and Syria. My hometown was once populated by giants, the offspring of angels who married the daughters of men. Napoleon would one day describe Gaza as the outpost of Africa, the door to Asia. For several centuries, Egyptians um, ruled Canaan, referring to my hometown as Gazat, a uh, prized city. Armies of chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers under the pharaoh. Um, oh, see here now, is that Thutmose? Thutmose? Thutmose mm-hmm. Third thundered through Gaza and defeated a coalition of Canaanite uh, chiefdoms at Megiddo in 1458 BC. The Egyptians then built fortresses, mansions, and agricultural estates from Gaza to Galilee. Um, it goes on um, to chronicle uh, the history of Gaza, um, and we're going to continue our conversation with the pastor from Gaza, Hannah Massad, in just a moment. If you have a particular question that you're hoping I'm going to ask him, just go ahead and text me, 877-933-2484, and let us be uh, lifting up our brothers and sisters in Gaza these 900 Christians um, who who we know to be um, in this land of 2.2 million Muslims um, and right now uh, caught between the fire of Israel and Hamas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with uh, Pastor from Gaza. That is the name of the book, also the person, uh, Hannah Massad. Uh, if you're looking for him online, M-A-S-S-A-D is how you're going to spell um, spell his name. Um, Pastor Hannah, when we uh, when we talk about Gaza, we're talking about uh, a 
a small um, strip of land, most of which um, uh, would would be considered not appropriately inhabitable by uh, by many of us. Um, 2.2 million people, seven miles wide, um, less than 30 miles long. Um, the vast majority of people live in the northern part of Gaza. Give us a little bit of sense of the geography, if you would. When Israel um, told people to evacuate from the north to the south, um, where where would they have been headed? Is there anything down there? Well, you know, I'm from Acts, uh, the book of Acts, Gaza is a desert. And really, um, this is a small piece of land. People coming from the north and from Gaza City, Israel lost 1.1 million, almost half of the population to evacuate to the south. And uh, to be honest with you, it's unreasonable because, I mean, there is not much there where to go. And basically, most of them, they will be in open air. Um, The Christian community, uh, uh, all of them evacuated in two churches, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Latin Church. They're not able to evacuate to Gaza Baptist because we across the street from one of the main police stations in Gaza, which is numerous times been bombed by, by Israel, so it's not safe. So, um, but many uh, Christian homes also been destroyed, unfortunately, uh, in Gaza as well. So, um, this um, there are some people uh, went to the south, um, and but you know there's not really safe a place in in Gaza. Um, so. You know, you have about eight, nine different refugee camps in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, which is uh, very, um, you know, crowded, very populated. And uh, we uh, only have uh, two exits, two entrance for the people, one with Israel from the north. And, uh, of course, no, no one able to use this one now. And the other border um, with Egypt from the south, but also the border is closed and there's one main border for food and but as you know uh, food electricity water uh, gasoline cut off um, unfortunately so uh, you know just people are uh, terrified because they didn't really know what is going next and uh, it's very tragic uh, and very difficult situation and uh, we just continue to pray god mercy um, to for the people at this very uh, difficult time. Okay, we do have um, the President of the United States seven hours ago saying, um, and confirmed by Egypt's uh, President Sisi, that the uh, Rafa Gate is going to be opened for limited humanitarian, those, those trucks that are lined up right now, uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Egypt has agreed to open the Rafah crossing into Gaza, allowing uh, the first batch of about 20 humanitarian aid trucks through. Um, this is according to the U.S. president. Um, yes. uh, so that was at, at least a start. I realize that 20 truckloads is grossly insufficient to meet the need, but um, I'll just mm-hmm. pray that that's the first that's the first evidence of a um we, we prayed specifically here on air a couple of days ago that in much the same way that um, the Hebrews, you know, were fleeing from Egypt and uh, arrived at a place where there seemed to be no way to cross and God opened a way. 
that's that's what we prayed specifically here the other day with with God would make a way where there didn't seem to be any way. And so I'm going to pray that this first opening of of the Rafa gate would be um, would be just evidence that um, God's going to find a way to supply for the needs um, of the people. You refer to um, first of all, let me let me highlight something that you said and be sure that I understood it so that we can know specifically how to pray about this as well. You said that the Christians um, who are in Gaza are sheltered at the Greek Orthodox and the Latin churches. Is the Latin church, is that what I consider that Catholic? Is that the way I would understand that in my mind? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, yes. okay, okay, just so that I understand. And so that's where they are sheltered, and that is in Gaza City. Both of those churches yes. are in Gaza City, yes? Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, um, your church, um, the Baptist church, you sent me pictures um, and so, first of all, I want to know who took those pictures, because that's pretty extraordinary. Um, and um, and then, obviously, on the other side of this, uh, whenever the other whenever we arrive at the other side and whatever it looks like, the Christians um, in Gaza are going to need support from those of us on the outside to rebuild churches, to uh, to refurnish libraries. I mean, on and on and on. So could you talk with us a little bit about um who took those pictures uh, so that we can pray for that person um and then maybe what you see on the other side of this um the church guard uh, he was able to leave uh, the group Orthodox church and go um you know for a while um to take these pictures and came mm-hmm. back it's uh, risky but um mm-hmm. you know he, he did so um yeah, yeah so there's uh, some damage as i said because we located across the street of uh, uh, one of the main police station uh, in Gaza. And, um, you know, what is the outcome? It's really hard to know because the worst is yet to come, especially if mm-hmm. there is uh, Israeli, uh, you know, entrance uh, on the ground. Um, it's really hard to imagine uh, what the outcome. And, uh, you know, already there's almost 4,000 people uh, who've been killed um, mm-hmm. in Gaza and there's uh, many about 1500 of those are children and about what a thousand of them um, also women so it's very sad situation very difficult uh, one person to be killed is too many regardless from the Israeli side or from the Palestinian side because both of them are very precious in the sight of God and as I said all of us created in the image of God created from one blood. This is why I always said uh, when we look at each other, we can see God in each other because all of us um, created in the image of God. And so I think uh, there will be a better way uh, for this situation. And I hope uh, God will raise, uh, you know, wise uh, people from both sides and from the Christian community uh, to intervene and uh, to be a peacemaker, uh, to find a better solution uh, for everyone in the region, because violence is never a solution. Um, what does it mean to be light in the sand? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, I mean, he gave us the, the honor and the privilege when he said about himself, he is the light of the world. But also he said to us, we are uh, the light of the world. So, I mean, we become partner uh, with him, with the greatest 
divine project humanity ever known. And can you imagine, Carmen, that we as his followers, he wants us to partner with him and to continue to carry his presence and to reflect his love. And this is really what is the beauty of the body of Christ. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity to share with you and with my brothers and sisters in different locations. And we uh, have be able to come together by the grace of God to shine. And the light, as you know, will shine uh, even much more in the dark areas. So may God help us. Um, you know, I mean, as this stage, we... We're not able to send uh, relief, uh, but we are in the process to raise the fund. And so when the borders are open and um, the, hopefully the war will stop, then we're able to transfer uh, this fund 100% through the Gaza Baptist Church to help the Christian community and also to help the wider community. And my prayer, God help us continue. Uh, to reach out and continue to shine in this very difficult time. So um, just so that I understand and I send people uh, to to the right place, am I sending them to Christian Mission to Gaza um, or directly yes. to, okay, that's good then. I'm just going to, uh, if you, if you're listening right now and, um, and you want to respond to um, um, the pastor's invitation um, to give, if you text me, I will send you the direct link. You guys know the text number, 877-933-2484. What you're looking for online is Christian Mission to Gaza. CM, the number two, the letter G, cm2g.org, Christian Mission to Gaza. Um, And so um, I'm wondering, um, Pastor Hannah, if you might be willing to come back in the future and talk with us again. Of course. Sure, be glad to. Yeah, let wonderful. Me know. Love, yeah. love to be with you. May I just say quickly, please, if mm-hmm. God put in your heart to donate, uh, if you're able to say in the in the memo, um, you know, for uh, you know, a war war relief, a war mm-hmm. relief, because we want to use what whatever you give, hundred percent purely uh, by the grace of God, will go to our brothers and sisters in Gaza and also to help the needy and the poor uh, as well. Hmm. In Jesus' so name. Good. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we trust that you would use it um, as God leads. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, um, thank you Pastor, thank you. so much. The book is Pastor from Gaza, our brother, Hannah Massad, M-A-S-S-A-D, if you're looking for him online. You're, um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our next conversation partner is going to be Marisol Rodriguez. Uh, Marisol is going to help equip us as we, um, you know, as we profess to be people who are pro-life. Um, what does that mean beyond just advocating that women say yes uh, when, when they're pregnant? They say yes to carrying their baby uh, to full term. What does it look like to reimagine pro-life ministry that actually empowers women and supports families in overcoming the poverty that um, would often lead women to say no. Um, So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When was uh, the last time you saw a pregnant mama? Did she, um, she looked like she had everything that she needed, not only to be uh, bearing that pregnancy, but living well uh, into new life as a, as a family. Um, 
Mamas need need lots of support. And so when we talk about being pro-life, what does it look like for us to be pro-life, empowering women not only to carry their babies to term, getting beyond yes to actually supporting them in overcoming um, generational poverty. We're going to talk with Marisol Rodriguez. That is the subject of her book and her ministry. The book is Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. Marisol, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. Yeah, so um, first, why don't we talk about the Renew Life Center, because uh, this is uh, actually a demonstration of what you talk about in the book. So introduce us to the Renew Life Center. Well, the the Renew Life Center was founded in 2013. Um, I had just left my job as a director at a pregnancy resource center to become the founder of this organization. And, um, And that was because as I was directing this center. Well, I was first volunteer and then I was hired as a director. Um, for about 10 years, I'm involved in this pregnancy resource center. And um, 10 years in, I get an email from a woman that we served at the center, a woman that had walked in, uh, was abortion minded, and, and um, you know, through our council, decided to choose life. Uh, this woman sent me an email that rocked my world, <laughs> turned my life upside down. And totally, you know, just opened my eyes to the great need these women had beyond what we were doing as a pregnancy center. And so Renew Life Center was founded to meet that need, to fill that gap that these women had. So what Renew Life Center does is that we provide educational programs and mentoring. And this is long-term mentoring. A lot of people ask me, how long do you walk with them with? And the response is, as long as it takes. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no time limit or expiration on that. And we, um, and we are focusing on women that are coming from a background of generational poverty. So this is poverty that has been ingrained in her for generations, right? And that if we don't intervene, will continue to be ingrained in future generations, like the baby she's about to bear as well. So um, we address the root causes of that generational poverty um, with education, with mentoring, and then we help set her up on a path to self-sufficiency, you know, so she's not living a life that is stuck on government assistance, you know, living in, you know, dangerous um, crime riddled places and, and a play and somewhere where kids can have a good education and a good shot at a future. And the most important of all is introducing them to Christ, you know, so mm-hmm. that long-term relationship really gives us a big chunk of time to pour into her the truths of the gospel. In a very yeah. relational way. I, I love it. I love um, that it's long term, um, that it's comprehensive, mm-hmm. that it takes into account the reality that like zip codes really matter. Um, you know, where, where you Absolutely. live and where you raise your child probably matters more than anything else. Um, and then, you know, people only have the relationships that they have and therefore they only have access to the resources um, that that network of relationships gives them. And so one of the things you're doing is you're providing a network of relationships that goes so far beyond the one that they knew yes. uh, growing up. So it's just it's it's wonderful and it's tremendous. Um, tell us a little bit about your your story, Marisol. Um, you you were I mean, this is in part like your story. Yeah, it is. And it's funny because when I wrote the first draft of my book and I showed it to a friend of mine, she said, Marisol, I don't understand. There's nothing about you in the book. And I said, the book is not about me. And she's like, yes, it is. 
<laughs> so I had to go back, you know, after I thought about what she said and prayed, I had to go back and add all these things in, which um, for many reasons, I really didn't want to, you know, because no, when right. you write about that. yourself, right, it's so exposing, right? right. And right. Um, yeah, not just exposing myself, but my mom, who I love dearly, and I highly respect, but you're right. Yes. So I was born to a single mother um, from generational poverty. And I'm talking about abject poverty. Um, my mom, you know, no education. You know, she never went to school and um, and was never married, had many children, you know, different men. And and it's funny because that growing up in that environment, that's all I knew, obviously. But um, but thankfully, our life changed when my mom got saved and stepped into a church. And and to me, that's such a great example of how transformative, excuse me, how transformative the gospel is. <clears throat> and how transformative um, relationships are, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so it was, yeah, yeah. So my mom, and, and you know what? And one of the things I love sharing is that we have this perception of these women, of women in poverty, that women that keep coming back and back to the pregnancy center, because I saw it, you know? And it's funny because I never linked it to my own childhood or to my mom as I was living it. I'm like, well, here she is again, another man, another baby you know, um, with that thought in my head and not really even thinking about, well, what causes that? You know, what is the cause behind this woman, you know, having these multiple men in her life and these multiple children? And when you look at what, and you said it beautifully early on, when you look at where she lives and how she lives, it forces you to make decisions that, that others like us, like you and me, we don't have to make those decisions. We don't have to choose between, you know, having a home and not having a home, feeding our kids or not feeding our kids, you know? So um, sometimes when women are in these multiple relationships, it's just a form of providing for your children. And the least educated you are, the least skilled you are, and depending on your zip code, the only thing you have to turn to is a man for providing. And we're talking 2023, right? It's still Mm -hmm. happening today. You know, for my mom, it was back in the- yeah. Absolutely. And you think Marisol, it's a thing of the past, you know, women no. don't, women don't. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. It's a thing of the, of the present and it's not, no, no. Uh, it's not exclusively urban. Um, right. And so if you're listening right now and you're living uh, in, in flyover country, uh, you know, this to be the reality in rural America as well. Yes. Um, and so we want to, we want to have a, a genuinely pro-life conversation and how pro-life ministry um, goes beyond just making sure that uh, women st- have the opportunity to say yes to carrying their baby to term and doing so in a way that's healthy um, rather than terminate their pregnancy, but also rather than give their uh, children up for adoption, which is a, a trauma all its own. So when we um, when we intervene uh, and provide for a woman to have the baby, do we make it possible then for her to also not just survive, but thrive, not dependent on government resources, but dependent on a network of relationships that we build as the family of faith. So help us um, help us imagine that a little a little bit, uh, Marisol, um, like th- this is about emotional, relational, educational, financial, um, not just support systems, but educational opportunities. Um, this is this is kind of immersive. So maybe what would the first step in this direction be for a person listening right now who's like, oh, that is the kind of pro-life I want to be? Yeah, well, 
you know, the, the, what we did was we created a relationship with the Pregnancy Resource Center. And, um, and that was a first step because I think that we, we incorrectly, um, a lot of pro-life people incorrectly believe that the Pregnancy Resource Center is an all-encompassing solution. And the Pregnancy Resource Center is an extremely valuable ministry that does absolutely wonderful work. But they have their mission, and their mission is to save lives. And um, and often they go way beyond that, offering a lot of services in addition to. But they're not designed, and their mission is not for this long-term journey that this woman now embarks in. And I, there was nothing existing for that. There's a lot of support groups for single mom support groups and stuff like that. But I'm not talking about just a support group. I'm talking about getting in her life with the education she needs specifically to overcome generational poverty, because there is a specific education required for that. Thank God I found the curriculum. And, um, and then walking alongside her as she's applying those things, those concepts that she learned, right? So Renew was found. And then oftentimes, before I go into Renew, the church, I'll talk to pastors and they're like, Marisol, you're right. Like there's this big gaping hole. We just don't know what to do. And um, it's understandable. They don't know what to do, where to begin. It's a huge it's a huge undertaking. And Renew Life Center was founded so that the church has a vehicle through which they can now get involved. They, they now can find out what to do. And there's a lot to do. And not every church has to do everything, you know. So there are housing needs. There's food needs. There's transportation needs. childcare needs. There's so many needs. And if every church in a community that surrounds a pregnancy center just said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to tackle that need. For these moms, we're going to tackle if every church just took one, I mean, the world would be a different place, you know, um, th there would be no need for abortion, you know, and one of the top reasons women give for walking into the abortion clinic is, is economical is I can't afford a baby is, you know, I, I, I can't afford the baby I have now, how am I going to do it with two? There would be no need, it would be unthinkable, because mm -hmm. there is a path to that. Women don't see the way out. As they're making their way into the clinic, they don't see any other solution. And I think that it's up to us to show that there are other solutions. And yes, there's moral reasons for not to have an abortion. Absolutely. But also there's no need, you know, there's no need because you have options. So, um, so what That's it looks so like, good. it's really partnership. It's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot, lot of moving parts. It's the pregnancy center. It's the local church. It's maybe a, a, an organization in the middle that can coordinate the the you know mm -hmm, them mm -hmm. meeting together to yeah, meet that, these needs and um that and coordination that's what administration does. all of that yeah those are all so good all right Marisol we got to take a very very brief break um when we come back we're going to continue our conversation Marisol Rodriguez is um uh, she heads up the Renew Life Center which I will be happy to send you the direct link for you can find it on all the social medias directly at Renew Life Center NJ that's probably for New Jersey. RenewLifeCenterNJ.org. Her book, Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. If you are pro-life, um, this is a book that you need. It builds, it will help you build the bridge that is necessary or knit the net that is necessary um, to get beyond, yes, I will carry this baby to term, I will have this baby, to I can have a life where I thrive with this child and I raise a child who does not know the reality of generational poverty. That's really where we're headed and what we want. 
um, full life, the abundant life that Jesus came to give. We're going to continue our conversation with Marisol Rodriguez in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're continuing our conversation with Marisol Rodriguez. She's the author of Beyond Her Yes. She's also... Um, the person and the energy behind uh, Renew Life Center. So RenewLifeCenterNJ.org. I'm happy to send you that direct link. If you text me, 877-933-2484. You guys know how that works um, because you text me all the time, which I appreciate. Marisol, uh, people are loving this conversation. Um, Mary is uh, chiming in saying, I've been Uh, I've been volunteering with my local pregnancy resource center, and I've been praying that God would match me with, um, you know, with a woman who just needs a mentor. And so that's that's part Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about as well, like being open to uh, to the person um, whom God sends. We have a friend here who says, um, is is Marisol bilingual? That's David in North Dakota. He just wants to know. That's a curiosity point, yes. I suppose. Yes, so I am. That probably helps. That probably helps in uh, in it in does. some places and spaces. Yeah, yeah, it helps. And and I'm so excited that recently all our programming has been launched in Spanish as well. So now nice. we can serve equally the English speaking and Spanish speaking community because it's a it's a huge community in Patterson, New Jersey, where we're located. So, um, yeah, and it's it's very exciting to to help people in their native language. That's so good. Yeah. Marisol, um, when um, when we talk about uh, maybe the starting point, I think the first step is sometimes like the hardest one for people to take because there's this, uh, you know, OK, all the frogs on the log might agree that it's a good idea to jump, but somebody has to actually jump. Right. Nobody is actually mm-hmm. swimming until somebody gets off the log. So. Um, I'm going to connect with my local pregnancy resource center and I'm going to ask the question about next steps or, you know, when they when they dream about being able to support a mom beyond what they can currently do, because their mission is their mission. And we all get that. And we're not trying Mm -hmm. to drive pregnancy resource centers beyond what they can do. We're trying to say the body of Christ is big enough, um, diverse enough and resourceful enough to to knit this net together in every community across the country. Um, so, mm-hmm. so beyond, you know, so I'm going to go to my pregnancy resource center and I'm going to ask the question and I'm also going to go to my pastor and I'm going to say, is this an area of interest for our church? Um, right. Mm-hmm. Like, do we, do we yes. see people who, um, do we even see these people? Cause I think part of yeah. this is it's invisible. This is an invisible mm-hmm. need, uh, that's out there. Most people literally don't see it or they're shutting their eyes to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and we have our preconceived notions as to why this is happening. You know, th- there is really a big lack of understanding of what really causes poverty and what it's like to be living in it. We all have our own 
mental model or our own idea of what we think it is. But when you really go in there and you study it, you see it really is a different um, world than what you assumed it is, you know, and you're right. And a lot of times we don't say a lot of the churches that support me actually aren't in the city I'm in. The city I'm in is a very, very low income. I'm sure those churches, a lot of them don't have the resources to even support my organization. So I need to go outside of my immediate area where resources are more abundant to bring those in. So I, I think that what you're saying is, is absolutely co correct. You go to your local resource and you say, Hey, what are the needs you're facing? And, um, what are the needs you see the women in your resources in your center are facing? And also, you have your sidewalk advocates, those folks who are standing outside abortion clinics trying to get a last opportunity to talk to someone before they walk in and make that permanent decision, trying to get her attention to have a little conversation and hopefully steer her to the pregnancy center. Those people know what the needs are. They're there in the front lines. And when they say to her, hey, what's driving you here today? Why do you feel you need to do this? They're telling them, they're giving them the intel that we need, you know, as to what's driving them to the abortion clinic. I would talk to people like that and you'll see the needs are, well, I don't have a job and I don't have a place to live and, and how am I going to support this baby? And, and I, I really dream of making something out of my life. I, I want to go to college. I want, so there's, those are the reasons. And if we step in and we say, well, you know what? This baby doesn't have to put an end to your dreams. It, it does. You could you could have a baby and, you know, X, Y, Z with the right support. And there is support for you, you know. And when that sidewalk advocate says that, we, the church, better be standing behind them with the support they're promising, you know. And I see that's something that's lacking. So we do want to find out what are the needs of that specific community? How can my church meet that need. And, and, and I think that a lot of times it's often better to think more in collaboration as to how can my church and the other two or three around us come together to do this. It's not, it's not a solo thing. It, we shouldn't try to be long lone rangers, but how can churches come together and work on, on, on these issues, you know, and then hopefully, you know, and I think it shouldn't be like buckshot, but finding, um, curriculum that addresses the root causes of poverty is very important because there is specific things. It's a mindset shift that is required from continuously operating in survival mode to now shifting your thinking to operating in, in a mode that is leads towards success and, and, and flourishing. Those are two different ways of thinking and living. And right now they're only no one way and, and we need to transition how they see the world, how they operate in the world to something that is more fruitful. And um, and that's done through education and mentoring. So um, I, I think that pregnancy centers would be super excited to get that call. That's what happened with me when I called the pregnancy center closest to where I wanted to open Renew Life Center. It was a cold call. I called this, never, the woman never heard. I said, hey, this is my name. This is what I'm dreaming of. This is what God put in my heart. And um, after a series of conversations, the pregnancy center called Lighthouse Pregnancy Resource Center and Renew Life Center made a collaboration to work together on this. So and great. it's been an incredibly, an incredibly successful collaboration. All right. We want to have a follow up conversation with you um, and maybe unpack um, some some very specific things that you've learned along the way. Could we do that in the future? Mm -hmm. I would love to. Great, great. That's Marisol Rodriguez. I'd love to put you in touch with her. You can text me and I'll send you the direct contact information for Renew Life Center. Her book is Beyond Her Yes, Reimagining Pro-Life Ministry to Empower Women and Support Families in Overcoming Poverty. 
Um, all right. We have uh, covered a lot of territory today. Let's be um, certain that we till till the good soil um, in our own hearts. Be sure you're sowing peace out there in the world that God so loves. Get into the word of God today before you get out there into the world um, in order that you can honor Jesus in all that you say and do. The world's going to squeeze you today. You know that. So what's going to come out? My hope is it will be grace and truth. Let's be uh, everybody's full of something. Let's be full today of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That's really what the world needs. The world does not need another piece of your mind. They need the very peace of the mind of Christ. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.